Welcome to LexCity.tv. We're so glad you joined us today. This is such a unique time in our world and we want you to know your church is here for you. They may not be meeting physically in our building, but I believe that Jesus can speak to you in your living room, in the car, on your phone, truly anywhere. If you want to greet some people during this service, head over to the chat window or comment below. We'd love to know where you're watching from and who you're watching with. A great way to stay connected with all things Lex City during this season is to check out lexcity.info or follow us on social media at Lex City Church. Every week, Kid City is doing a Friday family challenge time. This past week, we asked kids to find things in their house to spell out the word forgiveness and post them to our Kid City Parents page. So many of you participated and the winner got a gift card to support a local restaurant. Check out our Kid City Facebook page by clicking on Kid City on LexCity.info. Let's have some fun together while we stay healthy at home. We realize that COVID-19 is impacting so many of you, your loved ones, your friends, and your businesses. It definitely hit close to home this week as a family in our church tested positive and are quarantined at home for the next two weeks. Their small group community showed up in a big way this week as they drove by their house with signs and encouraged them. We got to talk to one of their friends in their small group this week. One of our women had an idea to get together and drive a little parade of our cars past her house with signs and just whatever we could do to, to uh, encourage her. And I tell you what, it was so awesome just to get our life group together, uh, to encourage our friend and just to make her smile in this really tough season. And we're all certainly praying for a quick and full recovery. We are truly in this together. You are making an impact in your city and lives around the world by giving to Lex City Church. We need your continued support to make ministry happen and effective in this unique season. Just this week, your generosity helped us support some of our local mission partners who have been hit really hard during this season. 60% of our giving is regularly donated online. As we don't have physical buckets to pass here online, we want to encourage you to give online at lexcity.info. It is simple, it's secure, and in just a few minutes, you too can help make a difference through your gift. Click on give, fill out some information. If you're forgetful like me, make a reoccurring gift. Helps me not to forget to make this happen every month. This week we are bringing you a special Palm Sunday message as we look at the last week of Jesus' life. Well, welcome today to the start of what the church has referred to for thousands of years as Holy Week or, or the Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. It really is this. It's the climactic moment of God's redemptive love story to the world. It's certainly not the end of the story, but for all of you theater majors, this is the turning point, the tipping point in the story we're experiencing. This morning, let me share with you again how significant this Holy Week is in the narrative of scriptures. If we think about the New Testament, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 89 chapters in the Gospel. And out of those 89 chapters, four of the chapters deal with Jesus' first 30 years here on earth. The remaining 85 deal with the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. And out of those, 29 focus on the Holy Week the last week of Jesus' life here. So today, over the next 30 minutes, I, I wanna take you on a journey. We wanna walk with Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem. We wanna better understand his story and better understand his amazing love for you during this Holy Week time. 
The story then will reach this, again, climactic moment next Sunday on Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, the, the power over death, the power over sin, the cornerstone of our faith, but I'm jumping too far ahead of our story. So let's go back to where we'll begin. So if you've got your Bibles today, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. If you've got your devices, go on again to lexcity.info. Again, all the sermon notes are there. Everything happening in our church during this time, go again to lexcity.info. Glad to have you join us. So let's begin. The words of Scripture in Matthew chapter 21 lead us to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives overlooks the city, and here we begin in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And just to give you a little bit of visual context of what we're saying here at the Mount of Olives, here's some video from last year when Tammy and I took a group. We were out at the Holy Lands, and this is my favorite spot in all of the Holy Lands. You get a chance to sit on the Mount of Olives, and again, you're overlooking the city, the full city of Jerusalem. I understand at a greater way why this was such a special place for Jesus. If you've ever been to the Holy Lands, you understand exactly what I'm talking about, this place. If you've never been, we'd love to invite you. Tammy and I are going the 1st of December next year, and we'd love to have you be able to stand and see this spot. But on the hill, you can see the village which Jesus is referring to. It's down a little bit to the left. The temple is directly in front of you. We pick up the narrative in verse 2. It says, go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there and its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that was said. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And this is a prophecy that was given way back by the prophet Zechariah in 518 BC. The Old Testament prophet prophesies that Jesus not only will come into the, the city, not only will he be riding on a donkey, but he will be specifically riding on a donkey's colt. Why is this important? This is a young male donkey, never been ridden before, but the imagery of the donkey is so important. Make no mistake, the difference here, when you are a conquering king, when you come into the city, what are you riding on? Of course, you're riding on a horse. But when you're riding on a donkey, it's a symbol of peace. Actually, it's a symbol of the common people. And so this is Jesus. Make no mistake that the king is in the city, but at this moment, he's not coming as a conqueror. He's coming as a servant. We know that symbolism of this is so important because when Jesus returns for the second time, he'll be riding on a white what? A white horse. He will be coming as conquering king, but that's not this day. And that's not this moment. Jesus is entering the city as a servant to mankind. Verse 6, two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God, in highest heaven. And the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowd replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. 
And in this moment, what I love is the crowd saw Jesus for who he truly was, that he was the Messiah. The prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecies given hundreds of years before. And on this holiest of weeks, the week of the Passover, Jerusalem is surrounded and engulfed with almost two million people that are there to come to the temple to give their sacrifices. And Jesus enters this context and in this time for the last week of his life. But in these moments, his disciples, the crowds, did not understand the significance of the days to come. That every encounter that we talk about today will have a divine purpose behind it. So let's continue our story of the Holy Week. On Monday morning, Jesus made his way back to Jerusalem and he cursed a fig tree along the way. As it withered, the disciples asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that, you've received it. It will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone who you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus returns to the temple and he finds people buying and selling animals, turning it into a marketplace. And in this infamous moment, Jesus flipped the tables and chairs in holy anger. It was then when the leading priests first plotted their revenge and their murder of Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine that moment where Jesus in that holy anger and the strength that it would take to flip big wooden or stone tables in the temple. But this fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah and Jeremiah that talks of that Jesus, the Messiah, would be cleaning the temple. In Matthew, it is written that Jesus concluded his Monday healing the blind and the lame, and then the children of the temple saying, praise God for the son of David. Friends, let's worship together as we praise our God as children of God. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Cause I'm no longer a slave. Through my veins. 
Next day, Jesus heads back to the temple to teach and tell parables. 
the religious leaders also gathered there to trap Jesus. This means all the religious leaders of the religious groups who previously had hated each other, but they united together against one enemy, Jesus. The Pharisees who had hated how the Roman government and how they obstructed the Jewish traditions and the Heridians and those are, those are the people who were the followers and supporters of Herod the Great and even the Sadducees, the religious liberals who denied resurrection and the existence of angels and the existence of spirits, they all were against Jesus. These leaders approached the temple and confronted Jesus separately. It says in the book of Matthew, the Pharisees attempted to try to get Jesus to say something against Caesar to be arrested. Jesus responded, you hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? As the Pharisees left, the Sadducees approached to discredit Jesus as well. When they also failed, the Pharisees returned with a new strategy. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied to them, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, your sec and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. And Jesus responded, Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord, David's Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor on my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah in that passage my Lord, how can it be that the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. That day continues into Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the religious laws and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scriptures of verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk into marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. There is an importance to Jesus that these people know who he is that they understand that he is the true Messiah. For the people that suggest he was just another prophet or a rabbi or even the son of David, he wanted to make clear that, yes, he was a descendant of David, but truly he was the son of God. And of course, that was blasphemous and illegal to declare yourself to be God under Jewish law. So the religious leaders now had evidence that they needed to accuse Jesus. 
For me, when I say that I follow Jesus and I've given my life to him, I follow Jesus not because he was just a good man who walked this earth, but because he was and he is the son of God. Jesus continues into chapter 25 of Matthew about his return and the judgment of people. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king said to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, you will inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? Or when did we ever see you or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you this truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Later that evening, Jesus was eating with Simon, a previous leper in his home. While he was eating with the disciples, a, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured the perfume on me in preparation for my body for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. This day was a full day of ministry for Jesus. Even though he knew what awaited him on Friday, he still loved, taught, and cared for the people around him. Wednesday. There's actually little recorded about Wednesday in scripture. We think possibly that Jesus was preparing for Passover because two days from then, he would become the sacrificial lamb for us. But while Jesus was preparing for Passover, Judas was preparing for a betrayal. We read in Matthew 26, this small section recorded about Wednesday. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? They gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So not much is recorded about Wednesday. You know, there are some days that really don't feel worth writing about. And certainly this was one of those days. One of those days when the disciples would reflect back as they wrote, reflect back on a friend who betrayed the one that they loved and betrayed them. There are days like that, aren't there? Where we'd rather just forget them and not write about them. 
but Wednesday was a real day for Jesus, a day that we would remember as the day he was betrayed. It's now Thursday evening and we've gone from the excitement and the roaring crowds of the city as Jesus came through as riding on the donkey. We now move to the quietness of the upper room and Jesus surrounded only now by his closest disciples that are there. In Matthew chapter 26, we continue in verse 17. And on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus asking, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? And as you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and he prepared the Passover meal there. So in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke and the gospel, it records that as they enter into the city, they're looking for a certain man and they give us a little bit more description of what that certain man was. He would be a certain man who would be carrying a jug of water. Now, what made this so distinct is culturally, this was a job or a chore that only a woman would do, would be to fetch the water and to be carrying a jar of water. And so he was very distinct there. But even in that, another subtle miracle happens. Remember in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover, almost 2 million people there. The idea of finding an empty room where 12 people could be is unheard of. It's like finding, it's like going to Jeff Ruby's on a Friday night, asking for a table for 12 with no reservations. Again, the subtlety that God is at work is so amazing. So Peter and, and John, they prepare the, the Passover meal. This would entail they would have purchased the lamb that would have been approved. They took him to the temple to be slaughtered. They then take the lamb and they take all the other supplies and then they move to this upper room. They set out the table and it would be furnished with wine, unleavened bread, and a taste of bitter herbs. And these bitter herbs would be a reminder again to the Jewish people of their long bitter bondage in Egypt. Everything had a symbolic purpose. So we pick it up in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new and with you in my Father's kingdom. And in this special and profound moment, the disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying. They, they had no idea that the next few hours that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed on behalf of mankind. They had no idea that for thousands of years, that as believers all around the world would take communion and partake in the Lord's Supper, they would go back and read the description of the night they were experiencing right now. That this would be a moment of remembrance for thousands of years, that Jesus would become the sacrifice for the world. Go back to verse 30, and then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Again, to this beautiful place, a place of reflection, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus could look over and see the entire city, that his heart once again would be broken for the lost, like a shepherd whose sheep have gone astray. It was a place of rest and a place of reflection. 
Today, we're also gonna take a time of reflection. So if you gathered together already some communion elements, I want you to get ready to join us in that. If you haven't, I encourage you, head to the fridge, head somewhere and get some items that again are symbolic of Jesus' death and his resurrection. In just a moment, we're gonna to sing together and we'll have some time. And so I just wanna encourage you, wherever you're watching today, to just take that symbol of the bread as you partake of it, be reminded of Jesus' body that was broken on your behalf. That he was whipped and beaten and kicked. Could have called a thousand angels at any time to remove himself from that situation and bring judgment upon those that were abusing him. But Jesus, out of his love for you, and his love to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine, bore that. So his body was broken. As you take the drink and the juice, and as you take that, be reminded that it represents Jesus' blood that was shed on our behalf. The Bible says in the Old Testament, again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And where the disciples had to go and get a, a spotless lamb to present it and have it prepared for this, Jesus says, I am the spotless lamb, that within the next few hours will go to the cross and shed my blood for you that you and I might experience the forgiveness of sins. And so today, as you drink that drink, remember Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And so wherever you are during this holy week, let's take a time of remembrance and reflection.
You know what a beautiful reminder and truth really uh, of the goodness of God, of his ultimate sacrifice in his love for you and I. We continue in our narrative in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over to pray. And it's such a beautiful setting there at the garden. You see some of the video now from the garden. You can look out and just really across the road, you, you see the eastern gates of the city. And Jesus sees where he's about to go over the next few hours. His destiny stands before him truly in, in full color. And I would imagine in this moment, his humanity, the incarnation of Jesus, means he was fully God and yet fully man. And so the man part of him, I can understand and begin to visualize the warring that's going on in his soul. The understanding that what awaits him just a few yards away, the agony, the separation from his father, the moments that are about to come. Friends, even today, you and I are facing hard times and difficult situations. And so when your heavenly father says he understands your pain and understands what you're going through, can I remind you, it's this moment in the garden that reminds us of the truth of that. That even though the things that you and I are going through right now with the COVID-19, in comparison to what Jesus had experienced in that moment, I think the fear was even greater and the agony that he was about to face is far greater. And so it doesn't minimize what we're feeling today, but it just reminds us again that your heavenly father knows. And so at those moments when you face an on knowing future. In those times of distress, can we learn from Jesus? Can we just go to the garden and pray? Can you pray to your heavenly father and express again the genuineness of your concerns, your fears, your disappointments of what the unknown has for you? This is the context of Jesus. And so let me take you through the narrative again. Picture where you are. You're under the tree Looking just out a little ways, you see the walls of the Eastern Gate and you see what awaits. And so this is the context that Jesus says these profound words. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. It's the humanity of who Jesus is. Father, if it's possible for any other way to do this, I'm open. But God, whatever your will is, that's what I submit to. And so in verse 40, then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he returned to them again and he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things to them again. And then when he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, Here's the thing, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, for my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I have that I could have asked my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would have sent them instantly. But if I did, would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I so dangerous of a revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple where I was teaching every day? But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets recorded in the scriptures. And at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. I'm reminded again that everything that's happening in this moment is fulfilling prophecies that have been given hundreds of years before. That's why I know Jesus is who he says that he is, because he did what the prophets said that he would do thousands of years ago, that this truly is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. We started our narrative, we started Jesus with these huge crowds and the hustle and bustle of all Jerusalem. We, we moved to a smaller gathering in the upper room of just Jesus and his disciples. And now we find Jesus all alone. And this leads us into the darkest hours of Friday as our story continues. Late into Thursday night and into early morning, Jesus was sent to the high priest for trial. They simply asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus replied, I am. The high priest tore his clothes in horror as he yelled blasphemy and the crowd called Jesus guilty. The people began to spit at him, blindfold him, and beat him with their fists. Prophesy which one of us hit you as they mocked the Savior. As light broke Friday morning, the religious leaders decided to send Jesus to a trial under the Roman rule because they were, knew only the Romans could hand down a death sentence. Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. His silence here actually fulfills a, a verse in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 7, which says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not 
open his mouth. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to Barabbas, a well-known murderer, robber, and criminal, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. What a fickle crowd. A little before they all hailed him as the son of David, that he was a gift from God. And now they would prefer to release a murderer and put Jesus to death. And Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And little did the soldiers know that even in the color of the robe, they had proclaimed him as the king. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. They went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with a bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they nailed him to the cross at 9 a.m., the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. And a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries or thieves were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at about three o'clock, Jesus called out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. As evening approached, Joseph, 
a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. This is where we conclude our story from the Holy Week and, uh, and Jesus' humanity, where he goes to the cross out of obedience to his Father, asking him to pay for the sins of all mankind. Um, there is no greater um, act of humanity than the one that we just experienced on Good Friday. And, um, and maybe you're watching today and, and you're wondering how this impacts you and how this affects your life. And I just want to share with you one of my favorite uh, scriptures in all the Bible. It's Romans 5.8. It says this. It says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means in my life and in your life is that God knows all of my sin, all of my junk, all of my mistakes, those things that maybe I, that no one else even knows about that have only gone on in my mind, he knows all of those things. And in spite of that, he loves me unconditionally like no other human possibly could. And he takes it one step further. He actually wants a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're watching um, right now and, and, and all the fear and the anxiety and all, all the feelings you're feeling because of this COVID-19 crisis right now. Maybe you're scared for your health or the health of a loved one. Maybe you're um, living in fear of, of what's gonna happen with your job or the economy or your small business or whatever it looks like for you right now. And you're living in that place. And I wanna tell you that this passage of scripture that we've been reading today in Romans 5.8 that talks about how he wants a relationship with you should give you hope. And I want to challenge you right now, whether you're watching this in your kitchen, whether you're watching this in your living room or your bedroom, whether you're watching it alone or with family or whatever, that right now Jesus is asking for a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to have those feelings of fear and anxiety and hopelessness. He wants you to have a life of pur purpose. And there's a place inside your heart that is only supposed to be filled by a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you right now, if that's you, and you say, that's me, I need that in my life. I want to ask Christ to come into my heart for the very first time. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not the words. It's, the, it's just your heart connecting with the very heart of God right now. So I'm going to say a prayer. And you can say something like this in your own home right now. Just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living uh, in hopelessness. And I want a relationship with you. So Jesus, change me, save me. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we just wanna take a moment right now with those of you who just prayed to receive Christ in your life and just celebrate with you for a second. We are so excited right now. We want you to take a next step with us today. 
uh, those of you watching, wherever you're watching right now, um, you can click on uh, the button right there that says, I prayed on the screen. You can go into the comments section and click on the link right there as well. And uh, what an incredible memory in the midst of a pandemic and a crisis around our world. You're gonna look back on this season of COVID-19 and you're gonna remember that this was the day, this was the moment when you crossed that, uh, that faith line, you accepted Christ in your life and you kind of move forward with your life. And we are excited about that. And so click that link, take a next step with us today. And we're so glad you joined us today. And next week is Easter and spoiler alert, Jesus is alive. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree
Thank you so much for joining us online this week at Lake City. While we wish we could be with you in person, it's great that we're able to stay connected this way. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today with Pastor Zach to accept Jesus into your life, we are so excited for you. Make sure you click the button that says, I prayed, or head to lexcity.info so we can celebrate with you and help you with the next steps in following Jesus. We're one week away from celebrating Easter together. This is one of the most exciting times we get to celebrate Jesus as a church, but we know this year it will look a little bit different. Please share invites from our social media or go to lexcity.info if you'd like for us to deliver a yard sign to your yard. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Lex City Church for daily updates, ways to stay connected, and messages from our team. Again, we're so glad you joined us here today, and we'll see you next week for Easter. Coming up right now is Kid City Live.